Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 5, Episode 17, Tyra Troubles. When we last left Taira Masakado, his wife and children had been kidnapped by agents of his uncle Taira Yoshikane. Holding Masakado's family as hostages may have been effective as a long-term strategy for getting his hot-tempered nephew under control, but Yoshikane would never know for sure. Shortly after she was brought to Yoshikane's house, her old childhood home that she had left for Masakado, her brothers arranged to help her escape. The sources do not specifically mention her children, but Dr. Friday, whose book The First Samurai serves as our guide to Masakado's life, believes that they likely escaped alongside their mother. Whatever the case, Yoshikane's leverage against his nephew was gone, and Masakado was not about to forgive his father-in-law for abducting his wife and children. Now free to exact his revenge, Taira Masakado raised his warband once more, reported to be over 1,800 troops, but more likely around 300 or so, and marched on Taira Yoshikane's home. Uncle Yoshikane, to his small credit, seems to have understood that his recent victories against Masakado were owed in no small part to the fact that he had caught his nephew unprepared. He fled from his home in Hitachi province. Now it was Masakado's turn to hunt, but he would have no more success than his uncle in the matter. He burned the houses and fields of the villages loyal to Yoshikane before finally going home to Shimosa. This was an especially costly raid, as the autumn crops had not yet been harvested and their destruction would mean starkly reduced income for Yoshikane as well as devastation for those loyal to him. Yoshikane, now convinced that a military victory was unlikely, bribed one of Masakado's porters into helping stage a night attack on his homestead. A typical attack of this nature was pretty straightforward. Set Masakado's house on fire in the dead of night, and then kill anyone who fled the conflagration. Such assaults were generally successful as long as they kept the element of surprise. Thanks to the sharp eyes of a sentry, however... Masakado was warned far in advance, and thus filled his home with loyal armed warriors. As Yoshikane's troops approached, Masakado's warband ambushed them and inflicted heavy casualties upon their foes. Because he had also put out a call for reinforcements, Yoshikane's fleeing troops were attacked by those fighters who were still traveling to Masakado's compound. The treacherous porter was captured and decapitated, Yoshikane fled to Kazusa and abandoned any further plans of facing his nephew in battle, and Masakado had won yet another impressive victory, which further cemented his reputation as a mighty warrior. And he had managed to do all of this while avoiding criminal charges from the imperial court. Another development in Masakado's favor was that the Daijo Daikan had issued arrest warrants for Taira Sadamori, Minamoto Mamoru, Taira Yoshikane, and his sons, declaring that they were outlaws, and vesting Masakado himself with the authority to arrest them. This seems shocking on its surface, but this edict was largely ignored by the relevant provincial authorities in Kanto, in large part because Masakado's enemy family members remained very influential locally, and were still installed in provincial offices. 
Law enforcement during the Heian period was a layered system, with provincial authorities permitted to try and sentence those accused of minor crimes, provincial governors authorized to enforce laws against minor felonies, and the Council of State vested with authority to punish serious crimes like banditry, murder, and treason. In this case, Masakado had been given direct authority to apprehend his various foes, and even to raise an army to subdue them if need be, but he couldn't expect much support from the provincial officials since this was a matter for the imperial court. After the attempted ambush against Masakado's homestead, Yoshikane appears to have retired from feuding for good, dying about a year and a half later of an illness. Taira Sadamori, deeply alarmed by Masakado's warrant and determined to clear his good name, departed for the capital in early 938. When Masakado heard of this, he gathered his cavalry and flew after his cousin, hoping to kill his quarry on the road. The sources claim he took 100 horsemen on this manhunt, which could be an exaggeration, but was within Masakado's capabilities. Sadamori's company, however, would likely only have been around a dozen. They had been moving slowly along the road, escorting horse-drawn wagons laden with provisions for their journey. In northern Shinano province, with his cousin hot on his heels, Taira Sadamori made a surprising decision in this moment. He chose to fight. He had one large advantage over his cousin. His troops were well-fed and decently rested, while Masakado had driven his men forward in an exhausting forced march. Sadamori chose the ground and placed his warriors in key positions in an attempted ambush. It was a bold and desperate plan, and it nearly succeeded. Nearly. When his troops sprang from their hiding places and charged upon Masakado's army, a fierce melee ensued in which Sadamori's warriors managed to push their foe back a little, while inflicting casualties upon the exhausted horsemen. But it couldn't last forever, and as the battle turned against Sadamori, he fled with a few retainers into the mountains and away from the main roads. However, just because he lost the battle does not mean that Masakado won the feud. In spite of his best efforts, Sadamori slipped away and gradually arrived at his intended destination, Heian-kyo. In his pursuit of Sadamori, ostensibly to fulfill the arrest warrant he had been granted by the court the year before, Masakado appears to have overplayed his hand. The warrant was specific that he was authorized to pursue his cousin and uncles for arrest in certain specific provinces, Awa, Musashi, Shimotsuke, Hitachi, and Kazusa. While Shinano was near some of these Kanto provinces, it was not listed as a place where Masakado was legally allowed to operate in his capacity as a court deputy. I think it's likely that this all would have been papered over if he had managed to kill Sadamori, but his cousin's survival and subsequent audience with the Daijo Daikon meant that Masakado's life was about to become very complicated indeed. Sadamori pleaded his case before the Great Council of State, who heard him out and decided that he was innocent of the accusations which Masakado had lain against him in 936. Not only did they acquit him of wrongdoing, they sent a messenger to Shimosa with orders for the provincial government to summon Masakado for questioning. 
This reversal frustrated Masakado, but publicly he treated the matter as if it were a simple misunderstanding. The persistent efforts of the officials of Shimosa to get him to report for interrogation were no doubt annoying, but he shrugged them off with letters explaining the events in question, which allowed him just enough deniability to avoid further escalation from either the provincial or imperial governments. Sadamori remained in Heian-kyo for several months, and his presence kept the matter of Masakado's feud fresh in the minds of the Kuge who served at court. In 939, he took a copy of the official summons to Hitachi province, hoping they might provide him with the clout and resources to bring his cousin to justice. But he found that the provincial officials had largely put the matter out of their minds by this point. When he heard rumors that Masakado was gathering another army to hunt him down, apparently still operating under the assumption that his warrant from 937 was still legitimate, Sadamori fled back to the capital, stopping first in Shimotsuke, where he ran across an old friend. Taira Koresuke had just been appointed as governor of Mutsu and happened to be traveling toward that distant northern province in Tohoku. Sadamori offered to join him, and Koresuke agreed, but then Masakado's strike force arrived and began encircling Koresuke's camp in Shimotsuke. Sadamori slipped away once more and fled into the mountains of Hitachi, where he would spend several anxious months hiding from his cousin, local bandits, and dangerous wild animals. Eventually, he returned to Hitachi and took up long-term residence in a government compound where he was certain that even Masakado would not dare to attack. 939 was also the year that a conflict erupted in Musashi province, which lies just west of Masakado's home of Shimosa. Prince Okiyo, a member of the imperial family, had been appointed as provisional governor of the province when its previous governor was reassigned to Hitachi. One Minamoto Tsunemoto served as Prince Okiyo's assistant governor, and the two formed a mutual understanding of the primary mission in this job, getting rich through tax farming. Many Kanto governors, who served at the pleasure of the imperial court, understood that they needed the assistance of the long-standing local magnates to keep order in their province and extract taxes peacefully. Okiyo and Tsunemoto, however, seemed determined to maximize their profits in one particular corner of the province called Adachi District. A powerful local magistrate, Musashi Takeshiba, had refused to allow them to resurvey the district and reassess its tax contribution, which would have resulted in much higher taxes for the district. The fact that his family name is Musashi should give you an idea of how entrenched his family was in Musashi province, and Takeshiba had a particular reputation as a compassionate leader. Okiyo and Tsunemoto did not care that the Musashi family had been allowed fairly autonomous rule of Adachi district for several generations, and in response to his continued refusals to pay back taxes and allow them to reassess the land, they sent armed troops into the district to strip several houses belonging to the Musashi family of everything but the rafters. Musashi Takeshiba took shelter in the mountains, while Okiyo and Tsunemoto likewise stepped up their defenses in case the locals sided with Takeshiba. 
Taira Masakado decided to offer his services as a mediator and approached Takeshiba, who was only too happy to have his help and protection. They traveled to the Musashi provincial capital. Okio hurried to join them, and the three quickly resolved the issue over a bottle of sake. At least, they would have, except there was another party who was not present. Minamoto Tsunemoto. We don't know for certain why he remained encamped and ready for battle while his boss tipped cups with Takeshiba. It could have been that he didn't trust Masakado, but there are any number of practical delays which may have prevented him that we simply cannot know. Whatever the case, a group of local warriors loyal to Takeshiba ambushed Tsunemoto's camp and quickly scattered himself and his warriors. In the heat of the moment, Minamoto Tsunemoto believed that Prince Okiyo had joined with Takeshiba and Masakado against him. Without delay, he and his retainers flew for the capital with accusations of conspiracy against Okiyo, Takeshiba, and Masakado. He blamed the entirety of the initial conflict on Prince Okiyo, whom he accused of plotting a rebellion against the government along with Masakado. Fujiwara Tadahira was displeased at these accusations, since it was well known that he was Masakado's patron. In his capacity as regent and chancellor, he lobbied the court to grant Masakado the benefit of the doubt, and to double-check Minamoto Tsunemoto's account by having the man officially interrogated. He sent Masakado a demand that he answer the charges Tsunemoto had laid against him, Masakado obliged by sending a sworn statement which many of the provincial governments of the Kanto supported with their own sworn statements. Things may have escalated further, but Tsunemoto's interrogation had not gone well for him. The Imperial Guard recommended that he be censured for alleging false charges, and Tsunemoto was, for the time being, put in jail. Prince Okiyo, meanwhile, was put out of a job when a permanent governor was assigned to Musashi province, a brother-in-law named Kudara Saratsura, who was intent on freezing Okiyo out of political affairs within the province. In response, Prince Okiyo sought shelter with his newfound friend, Taira Masakado. It was dangerous for Masakado to accept Okiyo's friendship in such a direct fashion. The two had just narrowly avoided charges of rebellion against the state, so to forge an alliance in such a way could possibly raise suspicions among those who were not as convinced of Masakado's innocence as Fujiwara Tadahira. Thus far, Masakado had been careful to remain within the boundaries of the law. That was about to change in dramatic fashion. In 939, the governor of Musashi was reassigned as assistant governor of Hitachi, which may sound like a demotion but was actually beneficial as Hitachi was much richer in tax revenue than Musashi. This man was Fujiwara Korechika, and he quickly fell into quarreling with a local warrior named Fujiwara Haruaki. According to the sources, this man was half a bandit, but at first Korechika simply demanded that he pay back taxes. When he refused, Korechika tried to apprehend him, but he fled to Shimosa with his family and sought shelter with Masakado. Korechika sent repeated demands to the officials of Shimosa to extradite this criminal to Hitachi, but by this point Masakado was one of the most influential and powerful figures in their province and they did not dare cross him. 
Masakado, believing that Haruaki was a victim of persecution from corrupted authorities, like himself, adopted the fugitive from Hitachi as his client and placed him under his protection. Later that year, Taira Satomori returned from his time hiding in the mountains from Masakado and took shelter in a government compound in Hitachi, believing that his troublesome cousin would not dare act against it. Now that he had two active enemies in a neighboring province, Masakado gathered a huge host and marched into Hitachi, primarily with the demand that Assistant Governor Fujiwara Korechika rescind his arrest warrant against his retainer Fujiwara Haruaki. On the road leading to the Hitachi provincial capital, Satomori had gathered his own force, allegedly three times the size of Masakado's, and challenged him to battle. Satomori had numbers on his side, but he did not have the advantage of personal loyalty. Many of those in his army were conscripts who were drafted by the provincial government. Masakado's forces, on the other hand, consisted of his close friends and clients who believed that they would be richly rewarded for the services that they rendered. As Taira Masakado's troops charged into their more numerous opponents, the Hitachi conscripts quickly broke and fled and Satomori once more headed for the hills as the provincial capital was surrounded by Masakado's warriors, whose blood was still up. Fujiwara Korechika surrendered immediately, giving Masakado a written apology and handing over his official seals of office and the keys to the provincial government buildings. Masakado spared his life and kept him in custody for the time being. His warriors, meanwhile, proceeded to loot and burn the government compound, and they even attacked a provincial temple and a convent within. While Masakado would later defend his actions by claiming that he came to Hitachi to negotiate with Korechika and was attacked by Satomori's forces, it seems he understood that he had crossed the line. He returned to his home in Shimosa, as he often did after a battle, and after a week and a half of contemplation, he decided on his next move. He gathered his forces and immediately marched on the capital of Shimotsuke province, which, being caught by surprise and completely without any means of mounting a defense, surrendered to him immediately. Soon after, he marched on the capital of Kozuke province, which was likewise caught defenseless and surrendered as well. Throughout Kanto, the remaining governors abandoned their posts and fled for the capital in terror. Masakado announced that the offices of those governors who had absconded would be filled with a combination of his brothers and some of his longtime retainers. He quickly marched toward these abandoned government compounds and confiscated their keys and seals, completing his consolidation of the eastern Kanto by the end of 939. Word of his actions made its way quickly to the imperial court, who flew into a panic. Next time, we'll discuss the reactions of the court and his troublesome relatives as we conclude the story of Tyra Masakado. Until then, thank you for listening. Please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash a history of Japan.